Good morning, everybody. It's really great to see you this morning. And I, I take it that you're the, you, this is the crowd that remembered to, to move their clocks. What is it? Spring forward. Spring your cl clocks forward this morning. Uh, if you didn't, then uh, you're. Let's, yeah, we'll see you next service. I'm trying to figure out. Wait, how would that work? You would be here. Actually, you wouldn't be here if you didn't. So, so I guess uh, we're just glad that you you made it. And uh, we're gonna wake up a little bit earlier this morning. Wake you up, and let's uh, do some singing. This song is called "His Mercy Is More." Will you stand with us and let's sing together? Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more. Yeah, that's right.
is so much more than any grievance that we have against you. Oh Lord, thank you so much for being merciful to us. You can be seated. Isn't it great to be reminded of God's mercy? I said good morning to somebody this morning, and he, you know, I said, how are you doing? He said, I, I'm better than I deserve. And it's such a great reminder of God's grace. And so we're glad that you're here. I know that this is one of the most challenging Sundays to get to church. And so some of y'all are morning people. This didn't affect you at all. Others, you got here on the struggle bus. And I just want you to know we're glad you're here no matter how you got here. And if you're tuning in on Facebook, welcome. We're glad you're here as well. And if you're a first-time guest, we want to greet you. We want to thank you that you're here. We want to get to know you. One of the ways that we do that is through the guest card that's in front of you. If you can fill one of those out, and then after the service, take it to the Welcome Center. We have a small gift for you coming and being a part of our worship gathering this morning. So we're in a season of prayer for North American Missions. And uh, we've set a goal of $18,000 that we're going to give uh, to our North American Missions offering. And so last week we hit about 6000 so we're a third of the way there. And so that's great. But um, as we give to this offering, we also want to just kind of see what we're giving to. So we got a video we're going to show here in just a second. And this video is kind of special to us because, number one, it's going to feature one of our mission partners, uh, Journey Point Church in Denver, Colorado. So you'll see... Uh, one of their members and kind of see what's going on in Journey Point. But then also Emily Robertson, who's a member of our church, you'll see her on the front row of one of the worship services there in Denver. She was a part of Jen Sen and, and did summer missions this past summer. So you'll be able to see her in the video as well. So let's take a moment. Let's see this video. Look for Emily and we'll continue to worship together. God is a miracle worker. 
a way maker. We're going to do a little mashup of these two songs. So we're going to do miracles and go right into Waymaker. Will you stand with us and let's sing together? Oh 
you are the way maker. You're the one we go to to get us through the day. You are the miracle worker. Church, sing it. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you, I worship you. You are Never stop working. 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 Never stop
before you this morning just declaring that we know you are the way maker you are the miracle worker lord and we've seen you do miracles in our lives and in our world maybe right now we're a person who's seeking a miracle in our lives we know that you can make a way and you can do the miracles miracles like turning people who are lost into people who are saved and in your hands for eternity Oh, Lord, we pray for that today. We pray that we pray for a miracle in our community of Manchester, that, that you'll, you'll bring people to our door that we can minister to and that they can become part of this ministry team. Lord, we seek your face. We seek you. We seek for an ability to build your kingdom here in this place. Lord, I pray for these folks this morning. And I pray for our pastor who comes to bring your message. You open our ears and open our hearts to hear from you today. Oh, miracle worker, we love you and we're seeking you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, musicians. Good morning to you. Good to see you today. Glad you're here. I've been sharing a series of sermons the past uh, three weeks, uh, going verse by verse through Matthew 24 entitled The Future According to Jesus. Today we conclude this series, and today we're going to be talking about the timing of Jesus' return. So let me set the stage for those of you who have not been here before. In Matthew 24, Jesus, during the last week of his life, is leaving the temple for the last time. And his disciples comment as they're exiting the temple, what beautiful buildings, what massive stones. Jesus says to them in reply, 
Not one of these stones will be left on another. He predicts the fall of the temple, the destruction of the temple. The disciples are blown away. A little later they ask him, Lord, when is this going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end? They conceive of these two events going together. Jesus answers those two questions in Matthew 24. And he tells them these two events are not going to take place together. That the temple will be destroyed. And he tells them two signs to watch for in regard to the destruction of the temple so that they can get out of Jerusalem before it's destroyed. He talks about Jerusalem being surrounded by armies and the abomination that causes desolation. And then he turns to talk about his return. And we looked last week at what Jesus said about his return. And today he continues that discussion, especially focusing on the timing of his return. Now, there's some things in this chapter, this part of it, that are really hard to understand. We'll sort of get into some of the details of it, try to. But here's the main point that's very clear, crystal clear. This is the, what Jesus is saying throughout these verses we're going to look at. Jesus is coming back. No one knows when he's coming back, so be ready all the time. That's what we're going to see today. Jesus is coming back. Nobody knows when. Be ready all the time. So we begin in verse 32 of Matthew 24. Will there be signs that precede his coming? Christians differ on this. Some think, yes, there'll be some hints, some signs that point toward his coming. Others say, nope, not a sign at all. Just going to boom, out of the blue, going to come. Let's look at these verses and you can see what you think. Matthew 24, 32. Now Jesus says, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Fig tree was a deciduous tree like we have around here, and so it drops its leaves, and then in the spring it begins to bud, and you know spring is coming. Just like when daffodils start blooming, you know spring is coming. They may have to bloom through snow. It may not look like spring, but you know it's coming because those daffodils are up. Same thing with the fig tree. So he says in verse 33, even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Now, the problem is, which of these two events he's predicting, is he talking about one or the other or both? He's certainly talking, I think, about the destruction of Jerusalem. He's saying to them, because he's given them two signs, and so he says, that's like the budding of a fig tree. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, when you see this abomination that takes over the temple, you know that these events are near. The question is, does this verse also refer to the second event he's talking about, the return of Christ? Uh, are there some budding signs about the return of Christ? I think there are, but I don't think they're going to be definitive enough that you can make a prediction of the time regarding it. We'll see that as we go on. He gives a second kind of similar statement in verse 34. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So, Jesus says, this generation won't pass away till all these things will happen. The question is, 
what generation is he talking about? I think most naturally the first meaning is he's talking about that generation right there, those disciples, and he's saying this generation won't pass away until not one stone is left on another until the temple is destroyed. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. We generally think of a generation of being about 40 years And so Jesus said this in 30 A.D., and in 70 A.D., his word came true, and the temple was destroyed. That generation did not pass away until they saw all those things destroyed. Now, the question is, does this verse, this also, is it also speaking of his return? And I think it well could be that the things that Jesus talks about and the other New Testament writers talk about will unfold within the course of a generation. But you can't use that to set a date. You see, in recent Christian history, many people, many Christians, saw the reestablishment of Israel in 1948 as the budding of the fig tree. And so many Christians in the 1980s, when I was a young guy starting to preach, they were saying, Jesus is going to come back in this generation, implying before 1988 because 1948 Israel was reestablished felt like that was a prophecy the budding of the fig tree it's all going to happen within this generation so when I was a young preacher there were a lot of prophecies that Jesus was coming back within a generation implying by 1988 Hal Lindsey best-selling Christian book of that time ever in history like great planet earth intimated that it was going to be by 1988 Got a couple of books uh, that I'll show you some uh, uh, image of. First one, Edgar Wisenhunt in 1988 wrote, 88 reasons why the rapture could be in 1988. This book was sent to every pastor in America. Uh, 88, I mean not just one or two, but 88 reasons why the rapture could be in 1988. And so, boy, there was a lot of, a lot of that prediction. Well, that didn't happen. And so the next year, in 1989, he wrote this book, The Final Shout, Rapture Report. But you notice there's a hedging a little bit. you got a few dates going down through there now. 89, 90, 91, maybe 92 or 93. And uh, uh, listen, I am glad that in those days there was an expectation for his return. I think in our day, we've lost a little of that expectation of his return. They had something better than we had, but they narrowed it down with not enough humility to say this is going to happen by 1988 or just a few years after. And uh, we can't do that. Even if you believe as I do there are signs of his coming, you can't set a date. show you one more of those that came out. It's another book. I kept all these books just to remind me not to do this. You know, don't set these dates. Uh, Mission of, the, Mission of the Coming Days sent this book. Are you ready for the rapture? October 28th, 1992. They got a day, month, and year. And, uh, of course, that didn't happen as well. Look at the next verse in Matthew 24, verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, what Edgar Wisenhunt and these others said, here's what they said. It just says no one knows the day or the hour. It doesn't say no one knows the month or the year. You see, that's why they made those predictions of 1988, 1992, and so forth. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying to you. I think when he was saying this, he meant 
Nobody knows. Notice that he says here, no one knows the day or the hour. Not even the angels, even the angels don't know when Jesus is coming back. Now here's the real kicker. Nor the Son, the Son of God is Jesus himself. Jesus is saying, even I don't know when the return will be. Now, folks, that just sort of blows my mind. I've thought a whole lot about this verse this week, and I admit to you I do not understand all of it. How, why did Jesus not know this hour? Jesus knew Peter would deny him three times. It says other places Jesus knew what was in the, thought, the hearts of man. He knew the thoughts of his enemies. Jesus knew when Lazarus died before he ever got to Lazarus. Jesus knew the temple was going to be destroyed within a generation. He knew all Why didn't he know this? I don't know. Uh, Jesus was completely and fully God, we believe. And Jesus was fully human and without losing either one. And so Philippians 2 says he didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied himself. And so somehow when Jesus, who is always fully God, became fully human, he gave up, he voluntarily relinquished some of the benefits of deity. For example, God is omnipresent, right? God's everywhere. You, Psalm 139 says, where can I go from his presence? Can I flee to the heavens, the depths of the sea? No, he's everywhere, right? But Jesus, when he became human flesh, still fully God, didn't he relinquish that omnipresence? And he's either in Nazareth or he's in Jerusalem. He's not everywhere at once. So somehow, he's fully God and yet fully human, and humans can't be everywhere. So you just just roll that around for a while in your in your mind the hardest one is God is life he is eternal life itself and God died on the cross for our sins that'll really blow your mind right there so somehow Jesus who God is omniscient he knows everything but Jesus relinquished some of his omniscience even though he certainly knew many extraordinary things and knew the future but according to this verse while he was here on earth he had relinquished that knowledge, and even the son did not know. So the point of the verse is, if the angels don't know, and even the son don't know, you're extremely proud if you think you know. So he says in the next verse, verse 37, that the timing of his coming will be comparable to the coming of the flood in the days of Noah. Comparable to the coming of the flood in the days of Noah. Verse 37, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be the coming. That's that word I talked to you about last week, the technical word for the rapture, resurrection, return of Jesus, parousia. So it will be the parousia, the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So, in the days of Noah, Noah knew there was going to be a flood, didn't he? God told him. But he didn't know when. Same thing with us. We know Jesus is coming, but we don't know when. Noah was getting ready. Other people, he tried to tell the other people that the flood was coming. But they didn't believe. And so life was going on as usual. There were people planning to get married the day the flood came. And so it will be in the coming 
of the Son of Man. We know He's coming. We're trying to tell other people He's coming. We don't know exactly when, but when it comes, it will take many by surprise and interrupt what they thought was a future and daily activities, and they're not ready. Don't be like that. It says in verse 42, men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Verse 41, two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. And so that day will bring a separation of people, a division of people, of those who have trusted Christ and those who have not. And it will cut across occupations. Two people could seem very similar on the outside, doing the same kind of work. And one will be taken, one left. And in Luke's parallel passage in Luke 17, Luke adds the phrase, two will be in one bed, one taken, and the other left. It'll cut across marriage relationships as well. And so Jesus tells a little parable in verse 42 through 44 where he compares his coming to the coming of a thief. That's sort of surprising that Jesus would compare himself to a burglar, but he does here. Verse 42, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, circle that word ready in your Bible, that's the key word in this whole passage. So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus is saying, burglars don't call ahead. Isn't that true? Uh, you ever had gotten a call? Hey, just a little courtesy call. Won't you know between 4 and 6 p.m. today, someone will be at your house, take your flat screen TV, go sort through your jewelry. You don't get those calls, do you? And so uh, uh, it's, it's unannounced, unexpected. That's the way the coming of Jesus is going to be. And so you probably try to be ready all the time for a thief. You may have a lock on your front door. And it might be right now while you're here that you have your front door locked. Why do you do that? You just want to be ready just in case. Chances are somebody's not going to come up and jiggle that doorknob on your front door while you're here, are they? But you want to be ready just in case, don't you? And so he says you be ready all the time. So how do, are we ready for Jesus' return? Let me suggest it's four things. Number one, you need to be on the ark. Comparing it to the days of Noah and the flood, the ones who were safe were those who were in the ark. Are you on the ark? The ark is Jesus. The ark of safety, the ark of salvation in the new covenant is Jesus. Have you put your faith in Jesus and confessed him as Lord of your life? Because that's how you're going to be ready for his return. And if you haven't done that, you're not ready. And the second part of being ready is to get other people on the ark. If this is real, then you won't, aren't there some people that you don't want to be left when one is taken as one is left? Have you done, and you can't, you cannot control another person and you're not responsible for another person. You don't bear the guilt of your spouse or your kids or your parents or your friends. But certainly, we would want to do everything within our power of prayer and witnessing to get them on the ark too. And the third thing that's being ready is to have your sins confessed. Because if you're in the ark, you're saved, but there is some accounting of what we have done in the body, whether good or bad, and you don't want any regret when Jesus comes. 
And so if, if, you're, if you're living in any kind of sin, if there's any kind of pattern of sin in your life, you want to confess that, you want to renounce that, you want to turn from that to be ready. And the fourth thing, part of being ready is to be active and at work. We're going to see that in the parables that follow. To let Jesus, when he comes, not find you goofing off and that you have wasted your life, that he has given you a stewardship of time, but that you have been productive bearing fruit and serving him. That's what I think it means to be ready. I'm on the ark. I'm doing all I can to get other people on the ark. I'm trying to keep my sins confessed, and I'm trying to serve him that he would find me redeeming the time when he comes. Now, Jesus tells two more parables. One of them says he may come sooner than you think. One of them says he may come later than you think. Ready? Here's the first one, verse uh, 45 and following. Jesus tells us a parable to teach us that his coming may be sooner than we think. Verse 45, who is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. So you get the idea here. Jesus is telling a parable about a master. He had servants. He left them in charge. He's going on a trip. He's going to come back. See how you're doing when I get back. Jesus is saying, that's the way it is with me. I'm your master, your Lord. I've given you a life. And I've given you a responsibility. I'm going away to heaven. I've ascended to heaven. I'm coming back. I'm going to see how you're doing when I get back. And so he says, verse 47, Truly I tell you, he'll put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant uh, is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. If you underline in your Bible, underline a long time. That's the key phrase in both these parables, a long time. So he thinks, it's going to be a long time. And maybe you think, you know, some of you are young, and you think you're invincible, you think you're never going to die. Yeah, plenty of time, I'm not going to die soon. Yeah, I know Jesus is coming back, but he's he's not coming back today. And you think it's going to be, here's the key phrase, a long time. And that attitude affects your behavior. And so it says, verse 49, he then began to beat his fellow servants. Jesus cares about how you treat other people. Jesus, you're going to give an accounting to Jesus how you treat other people. And to eat and drink with drunkards. Jesus cares about how you act. And the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. At an hour he is not aware of, he'll cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. That's pretty tough, isn't it? That's Jesus talking about hell right there. Jesus says, you come back, you're not ready, you're going to hell. That's what he says. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Jesus may come sooner than you think, so you need to be ready all the time. Now he tells another parable to say that his coming may be longer than we think, or later than we think. Chapter 25, verse 1, this is a parable about a wedding, a story about a wedding. There's some odd Jewish customs in this wedding, but hey, listen. Any culture that at a wedding flips a garter into an air, the air and throws uh, flowers over your head and throws birdseed or rice on people cannot talk about weird wedding customs. Could we just say that to begin with here? 
So this is going to sound a little different from our weddings, but hey, we're probably weirder than they are. So here we go. Chapter 25, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, like bridesmaids, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So apparently in their custom, you wait for the bridegroom to come get the bride. The bridesmaids, the, the, other, the friends of the bride are waiting with the bride for the bridegroom to come. Jesus is the bridegroom. The church, the Bible says, is the bride. He wants the bride to be dressed in white and ready when you come. So these, they're waiting. Five of them, verse 2, were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. There it is again, underline that phrase, a long time. It's been in both these parables, but in the one before, the guy thought it would be a long time, and it wasn't. Here, they think it's going to be a short time, and it is a long time. Do you see the contrast? The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep, and at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, they may not be enough for both you and us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Well, now, that, why didn't they share? Why is Jesus telling a story about not sharing here? That doesn't, we teach our kids to share, don't we? Here's the point. In this story, Jesus is saying that preparedness is non-transferable. Preparedness is non-transferable. It doesn't matter if your mom's ready. Are you ready? It doesn't matter if your dad's ready. Are you ready? And sometimes when I talk to people about their relationship to God, the first thing, it's sort of unusual, first thing they may say to me is about somebody else. Hey, are, are, are you a Christian? My mom taught Sunday school. My dad was a deacon. I don't, that's, that's not you though, you know? What about you? And Preparedness is not transferable. What about you? Are you ready? And so verse 10, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready, would you circle that word ready? That's the key word in this whole passage. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And later the others also came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. And therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The point of this passage is crystal clear. Jesus is coming back. Maybe some signs. But we don't know the, when he's coming. So be ready all the time. Department of Homeland Security and the Centers for Disease Control recommend that every person be prepared for a three-day emergency. And they have a list of things. You can go on their website and, and uh, see a list of things that they recommend that you have. You know, uh, there could be an earthquake. We think California is the place where all the earthquakes are. But the most devastating earthquake in the history of American history was in Tennessee. Created Real Foot Lake. Are you ready for an earthquake? It says to have three days food supply. Most of us probably got that in the cabinet or a pantry. Have a uh, 
batteries for a flashlight. It says to have three days, uh, one gallon of water for every person for however many days you want to plan for. How many people in your family, you're supposed to have a gallon of water for every day for drinking and cleaning and so forth. So I went to Dollar Tree and for a dollar got about 10 gallons of water. Man, it takes up a lot of room. You got to find a cabinet or a closet to stick it in that where it won't freeze, can't put it outside. And so I got taken up closet space that five or 10 gallons of water sitting in my closet. Hope I never need it. Probably never need it. You've probably made some prepare. You probably got some homeowner's insurance. Hopefully your house never has a problem. You hope it never will. Probably never will. But you have that preparation. I'm saying to you, we prepare for things that probably will never happen. This one we know is going to happen. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away in this passage, but my words will never pass away. Should we not be prepared for the event that we know is going to happen? Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. we got to be ready all the time. Are you? Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, if there's a person here who's not on the ark, we know the ark is invisible here. It's, it's not a visible thing like in Noah's day. It's Jesus. If there's a person here who has not personally repented of sin, put their faith in you and confessed you openly before others in baptism, then I pray right now that you'll draw them to you before it's too late. I pray, Lord, right now some of us have got some people that we love and we've not made adequate effort to try to convince them to be on the ark, to pray for them, commit to pray for them, commit to share with them. Oh, Lord, burden our hearts for the reality of this impending event. Lord, some of us may have unconfessed sin in our lives and we've sort of, we think it's going to be a long time. And oh, God. I pray right now you'd bring us to repentance and cleanse us that we might be the bride without spot or blemish dressed in white when you come. And Lord, some of us are idle and the time is urgent. Help us to be at work for you, bearing fruit when you come. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together with me if you will. We're going to sing a song of invitation, commitment. If God's spoken to your heart, you're welcome to come here and pray. You want to, somebody pray with you, come to me. I'll pair you up. Not You can pray on your own. Today you may be ready to confess Jesus as the Lord of your life, that you be ready for his coming. Walk down here, share that with me. I'll share it with the church. If you have questions, there'll be a decision counselor to, to answer any. We have baptism next Sunday. Two, three people already being baptized next Sunday. You could join them. Come today. You could join our church by letter or statement. Just say, I've already been baptized, but I want to be a part of this church family. We invite you to come. Let's sing together. All throughout the history, your faithfulness has walked beside me. Winter storm makes way for spring In every season
from where I'm standing. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life, all over my life. I see the promises and fulfillment all over my life, all over my Help me remember when I'm weak. Fears may come, but fears will leave. You lead my heart to victory. You are my strength, and you always. Pray. The evidence is endless. All my sin rolled away because of you, oh Jesus. See the cross, the empty grave. The evidence is endless. All my sin rolled away because of you, oh Jesus. be seated. And like that song talks about, we can look back on our lives and see that God was good. And the scripture that we looked in in the the past few weeks, we don't know how it's going to go down, but we can trust that the future is going to be good too because of Jesus and who he is. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, Thank you again for being here. Uh, Just to give you a heads up about a couple things coming your way. Uh, There's a lot that's going on here. Some uh, Uh, Bible studies and CDP things we're doing on on, uh, Wednesday nights. I want to give you a heads up about the Easter egg hunt coming up. Uh, It's uh, April 9th 
But in preparation for that, talking about getting ready, we need some eggs filled with candy. So if you don't mind bringing those, there's a little couple of places you can drop those off. So you're uh, saying we should just get started laying those eggs right away, huh? Exactly. <laughs> if you want to interpret it that way, then sure. <laughs> go, go, go for it. Go for it. So, uh, yeah, so uh, help us out with that. It's a great, uh, a fun time at Easter Egg Hunt and uh, things going on there. And also want to remind you, you can get the Connection Group if you can, 945. If you don't know where to go, you can go to the Welcome Center and we'll get you to a class and connect it to folks. So let's pray and we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your word that just speaks truth in our lives. And uh, the uncertainty that we may feel about the future, we know it's in your hands, God. And we thank you that you're going to return in glory with power and, uh, and, and claim the victory that you won on the cross for all eternity, God. And we thank you that we get to be a part of that. Thank you for the invitation uh, to be a part of your family, God. Just help us as we go from this place to just live in the confidence that you are in control. Help us to be ready. Help us to uh, just uh, have that urgency and that awareness of where we need to be in relation to you, God. So just go with us now. We love you and thank you and in your name we pray. Amen.